You were once a prisoner. Held captive by fear. By prejudice. By sin. Anger. Addiction. But here's the thing. That prison no longer exists. Those walls have been torn down. What once held you captive now lays in ruins. You have been set free, redeemed, renewed, and God continues creating by bringing your soul to life. Where there was a prison, there is now a playground. Where there was despair, we find a wellspring of joy. Where there was death, we are given life. Christ has set us free. So live in that freedom. Lift your voice. Clap your hands. Find your joy. And set it free. For you are a prisoner no longer. We are prisoners no longer, amen? Man, what a joy it is to come together the first day of every week to celebrate our risen Savior, the the man that we call King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who truly reigns over our life. He's done so very much for us. We have so much blessing because of him in our life. We want to give that back to him and praise today as we come together as God's people, the family of God in this place. So thanks for joining us today and being a part of uh, all that is happening here at Cross Point. If you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome. We're truly honored you're here with us. We want you to know that uh, you are welcome, and we hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family. Join us in the story that we hope to tell, because all of us are simply broken people who know that we need a Savior, and we want to tell that story of hope to a world who desperately, desperately needs that hope. I want to take a moment and pray for uh, the families that are in chaos right now because of evil in the world. Uh, We come together to celebrate Jesus Christ, and sometimes we don't have answers to all the questions of of the things going on in our world, but certainly we've got families that are hurting today uh, and families that will be hurting tomorrow as well. But we want the Spirit to come into their families and corral them and to wrap them up in in his arms and give them the peace that only God can extend to them. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are the God of the universe. God, we praise and adore you and your name. And we know that all things are really in your control. There are things, though, at times in the world that we cannot explain, that we're not sure why they are happening. But God, we want to rest in the fact that we know that you are God and that you have a game plan and that God your Holy Spirit can come within each and every one of us and calm our spirit they can bring us peace that you can extend the love that you have for the world through us and our actions and our words and I pray God that you would settle upon us and in the families that have been devastated in recent uh, events and that God that your your reign would be known your joy and your peace would be known God, we love the fact that you've pursued us through eternity. 
through all of the history of mankind. Your desire has been to have a relationship with us. And God, we embrace that relationship today. We ask that you soothe us and caress us as your children. Thank you, God, again for Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And it's in his name we offer this prayer. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 this morning, so I hope you've got your Bibles. You'll turn with me there. Text will, of course, be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. We're starting a brand new series today on leadership, Christian leadership, and what leadership should look like from someone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, because as we take a look at leadership all over the world, we, we realize that some folks don't have it right, and that's why much of our world is in chaos Now, as we begin, I want us to think about Christian leadership in our homes with our spouses or our kids, uh, Christian leadership in in our workplaces, uh, Christian leadership in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in in our towns, and in our countries. I want us to think about leadership in the church. Eventually, over this six-week series, we're going to get to specifically talk about leadership in the church. But as we start out, I want to talk about Jesus and leadership. And what that leadership really should look like, according to Jesus' words from his mouth through the Gospels. Because I think at times that we we lose track of really what a leader should look like, and Jesus is the ultimate example of that. But when we take a look at leadership in our world around us, I kind of narrowed it down to about five different modes of leadership you can find in any given uh, scenario. You've got that laissez-faire type of leadership, which is really kind of a hands-off approach. It's a very laid-back approach to leadership. You kind of commission people to do something, and you just kind of let them go and do that, whatever it is you've commissioned them to do. Or you might have that autocratic form of leadership where you are the boss, you are the leader, everybody knows that, and your, your word is gold. That's exactly how it's going to be. A couple of countries that function with that kind of leadership in our world are China and North Korea. You've got the participatory type leadership, or we might call it the democratic form of leadership. In other words, you kind of let your employees have a say in how the company is run, uh, and kind of this majority rule type event takes place. You you have that type of leadership that's transactional. So you might have uh, these rewards, but you also might have punishment based upon the things that you do or do not do in a certain company or organization. So if there is a sales record to meet and you meet that, you might get a commission or you might get a bonus or maybe a new title. If you don't, then those things are going to be taken away from you or not offered to you at all. And finally, the fifth one is that transformational leadership model. Uh, And that's where uh, the leader or the CEO of any given company comes right alongside his people, doesn't mind rolling his sleeves up and working right beside them in the trenches. He doesn't mind jumping in there and being a part of the motivation that's needed to make some event or thing happen. And we can take a look all across our country, and any one of those models could be found at any given uh, company as a CEO is working with his people, could be found in any nonprofit organization, uh, it could be found in any government that might uh, occur as well, even on our own Capitol Hill. You can see more one style than probably another, but nonetheless, those leadership trends exist within our city governments, our state governments, and of course our national governments as well. 
I want to talk just a minute about government, just very briefly, because we're in this election year, and I see a lot of ads and campaigning going on. I see a lot of discussion in social media uh, about the, uh, the president, uh, presidential election and other things that are happening. I want to say two words, calm down. <laughs> you know, as we take a look and we're stirred up about what could or could not happen, you know, as people of God, we've got to believe that God's got this. Amen? I mean, we, we get all wound up about, about who might be in office and what if they make it and what happens over here. But I want to say as people of God, we've got to be absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit is working in this thing. God has a plan and it's going to happen just like he wants it to happen. As people of God, we've got to believe that. And so I want to commission us this morning as a church that we calm down a little bit and realize God's got this in the palm of his hand. And whatever is going to happen, he knows all about it, and it's in his design. We may not understand the design or what's going on, but we do know and believe in the one that does know what's going on. But if we want to take a look at church leadership or Christian leadership, if if we want to take a look at a theological scope of things or, or maybe how ministry leadership should look or Christian leadership in our homes then each and every time we take a look at the life of Jesus Christ, because ultimately he is the Christian leader that we look to for our example. We're called to imitate Jesus Christ. We're not called to imitate Paul or or Peter or James or John, although they're great men of God and certainly led a life that gave God glory. At the end of the day, you and I are commissioned to take a look at the life of Jesus Christ when it comes to leadership. How do we lead people around us through the lens of how Jesus Christ lived his life? When we desire to imitate Jesus, then things come more into perspective of how things really should be and what they should look like. I mean, Jesus proclaimed something very different when he began his ministry. He wanted to to let the world know that things were going to change a little bit because the culture into which Jesus was born into is not that different than the one that we live in today. Jesus was surrounded by people and leaders who wanted the title, who desired to be seen in the spotlight, who who wanted all the accolades. And as we look at our current landscape, it's much the same way. But Jesus says as he begins his ministry, Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent for your, of your sins and believe the good news. Now Jesus says, hey, something new is coming. It is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus' words really stress to us that something different is approaching. That, that there's the status quo, but that the kingdom of God, the message of God, this good news, is here to transplant that, to make it very different. And Jesus, in all of his life and his ministry and the words that he spoke to us, remind us of what that different life really looks like, especially as we look at uh, Christian leadership and modeling that after what Jesus looks for. Jesus said the community is going to look very different than it does right now. Because right now, we live in a world that's all about me. We live in a world where people are so concerned with their rights and and what they should get out of life and what toes you're stepping on and and how far your freedom goes and compared to mine. That is the, 
the, the battle that goes on. It was happening in Jesus' day too. And he said, look, it's going to be very different in my community. We're going to transplant that because my community is going to be about self-sacrifice. It's going to be about doing something very different than the way everyone else does it. It's going to be about extending forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy. It's not going to be about towing the line, but it's going to be about lowering yourself to the lowest, humblest part of humankind. It's about being a servant, Jesus says. And make no mistake, Jesus expected his disciples to be countercultural. That's what discipleship truly is. Discipleship is being countercultural. It's being different than those around us because we already see in our culture that whatever everyone else is doing just isn't working. And that's because they haven't plugged into the style and model of Jesus' life. And we're called to be like him each and every day. It is a community that God looks at very differently and wants to look very differently. And those who follow Jesus became a, a brand new family, leaving their physical families. Now, I'm not advocating that we leave our physical families, but you take a look at the life of Jesus Christ. He starts out in life in, in Mark chapter 1. He's walking down the beach, and he sees some guys working with their dad in a boat. They've got a fishing venture, and it's Simon, Peter, it's Andrew, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And the Bible says they left their father, and they followed Jesus Christ. Just a few more uh, feet down the, the beach, he comes across yet another family in the fishing business, James and John working with their father, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And it says James and John left their nets and followed Jesus. These were men who were ready for something different, and Jesus says, I want you to be different than what you're doing right now. Come and follow me. He moves on in Mark chapter 10, and he says this in the text. Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus reminds us that we are called to look to him, to follow him, even at the cost of maybe losing some family members who don't want to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, look, if you do that, you're going to gain many more because of the community that I'm creating. And oh, by the way, everything's not going to be hunky-dory. You're going to be persecuted as well. And then in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. That's kind of harsh for Jesus to say, don't you think? I mean, what if you had been the brothers or mom standing outside and you'd heard your son say that? But Jesus wanted to make a point. I'm building a brand new family, a new community that will look very different than the one that you currently are a part of, different than the community in which you live. The family was composed of people who had nothing in common except for Jesus Christ. You look at that first century church, 
And there were all kinds of different people who were part of that family, part of that community. But what they had in common was Jesus Christ. They had salvation through Christ. They had faith. They had salvation. They had grace and mercy. They had forgiveness one for another. Paul kind of wraps it up in a nice tidy bow in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. And he says, there were neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free because you're all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you believe your title is or, or what you think your ID is. In Christ, we're different. We look different than the folks around us. We come together as one in Christ Jesus. I mean, you take a look even at the disciples that Jesus called. I mean, one of those guys was Simon the Zealot. Now, let me explain what a zealot is for Israelites. This is a guy who absolutely hated the Romans, who wanted them out of the country. He wanted to restore Israel to the way it used to be, a standalone nation where God was sovereign and no one else told them what to do. But yet, here are all these Roman soldiers. They're under Roman boot heel, getting all these laws and regulations that they have to go by some foreigner who doesn't believe in God. See, Simon was that guy who was not afraid to pick up a sword. He, he wanted to fight those Romans. He wanted to kill them. He wanted to get them out of the country. Jesus calls Simon the Zealot to be a part of the 12, the first 12. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got a guy by the name of Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. He works for the Romans. He's also an Israelite, but yet working for the bad guys. And when you look at any listing of uh, the people who considered, were considered sinful in Jewish society, you had sinners, and then under sinners, you had tax collectors. <laughs> they were not welcome at all, anywhere, because they worked for the Romans. Now, can you imagine dinner time around the table of Jesus with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector looking one another in the eye? What did that look like? Very different community. Here's two people at opposite ends of the spectrum, but in Jesus' community can come together for one cause. Come together in love with one another to spread that good news. You you look at all the different things that Jesus was a part of in his ministry. Talking to women publicly in daylight. That was a big no-no in Jewish culture. Uh, Touching someone who had leprosy. Big no-no. In Jesus' culture, yet Jesus calls all of these people into this community. It's not that different than Crosspoint. We have a lot of different folks here that worship together. I mean, we've got Dallas Cowboy fans and Philadelphia Eagle fans under this same roof, believe it or not. We've got, we've got Democrats and Republicans worshiping under the same roof. We've got folks who have a GED and folks who have a PhD in this same family. We've got folks who are doing pretty well in life financially and folks who are living kind of check to check, if you will, worshiping in this same assembly. You've got the young here and the young at heart here, worshiping God together. You've got men and women Different parts of the spectrum as well, worshiping here together. You've got folks who grew up in the churches of Christ. You've got folks who, are, who have a Methodist background. You've got folks who have a Catholic background, all worshiping here together. And together, those are not our identifying marks. Jesus Christ is our identifying mark. You see, we come together as a family of God 
as a community, something brand new, different than the world offers because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And as we take a look, as we did a couple of weeks ago at that first century church in the book of Acts, those different people from different sides of the, of the fence, so to speak, came together under one roof and they worshiped together in homes. And they gave God glory in that worship. Those things didn't matter. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about worshiping and coming together, that we all had ugly feet. Now, I did hear a couple of ladies say, hey, I just had a pedicure. I don't have ugly feet. (laughs) But when we come together at the table, guess what? We don't see feet. Because we're at the table together under Jesus Christ's name. And we worship and live together in this beautiful community that God has created through his son, Jesus Christ. And in this community, it would practice a new form of leadership as well. Something that wasn't attached to titles or or rankings or being at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Very different than the world around us. In Matthew chapter 23, it's one of those moments where Jesus really lets the current leadership have it. He's not holding anything back. In Jesus' day, the, the religious leaders of the day were the Pharisees. And they had the regalia. They looked great. They dressed to the nines. They were always praying on the street corners. Why? Because they wanted everyone to look at them. They, they wanted all the glory. They wanted to show everyone how righteous they were by the way they dressed and the way they looked. And Jesus said, you know what? You, you look a lot like a graveyard. You, you, you've got whitewashed tombs on the outside, beautiful, but inside, guess what? You're still full of dead men's bones because of your attitude. He said, you're, you're kind of like a dirty dish. You clean it on the outside, but on the inside, there's still nasty coffee grounds. That's what you look like. And he doesn't hold anything back when he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, beginning. He says, everything that they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters." And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. See, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He says, listen, if you want to be in my community, it's going to call you to be different than the world around you. The leadership I'm asking you to have in the world, no matter where you find yourself, is very different than the world around us. And the disciples, even all in the three years that they were doing ministry together, would go back and forth and banter about the kingdom of God. They knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they thought it was an earthly kingdom. And so they would go back and forth about who would be the most important person in this new kingdom, in this new community. And they would argue over that as they walked from town to town, as they were involved in ministry in Jerusalem and other places. It never seemed to end with the disciples. And there's one time they're walking down the road and Jesus knows that they're going back and forth about some different things. And James and John asked Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit at your right and your left? Those are the most important places in the kingdom. 
And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 24 beginning, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over their, uh, those under them. But among you, it will be different. In my kingdom, it will be different. When, when I become everything that God's planned for me to be, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the two words used there, literally translated, mean servant and slave. Jesus says that has got to be your heart and mentality. That you lower yourself and be willing to serve all those who are around you. And we find that the defining characteristic of Jesus' community is service. The one thing in Jesus' community that stands out above all else is that we serve one another. That no one here thinks that they're better than anyone else. You may have a gift set that I don't have and vice versa, but it doesn't mean that we're better than one another. And Jesus says, you come together as brothers and sisters, very different than the world around us. The word that's used in the text and many other places in the New Testament is diakonos. And it simply means service rendered, performance of a service, functioning in the interest of a larger public, and rendering support. It's the idea that I am going to lower myself, much like a servant or a slave would, to all those who come into the kingdom of God. And we see that word used in different places and context throughout the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he said that all of us as children of God are created for works of service. Same word. That each and every one of us are created to use our gift sets to God's glory and to serve those around us. He also says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says... Listen, I was appointed to serve. Same word. Paul realizes that although he is the Apostle Paul, he's had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It doesn't make him any better than anyone else. He's called to serve. And then, of course, the, the text in Acts chapter 6, where the Greek-speaking women of the congregation in Jerusalem were not getting food and the apostles said, okay, we can't be serving tables, so let's elect six men, seven men rather, to wait on these women and make sure that they are fed. And the word used there is the word for service, serving tables. We've got to be dedicated to more theological things. Now, these guys weren't just randomly picked. These guys were of high, noble character. They were great men of God, lots of integrity, and they were asked to be a part of that process, and they did. Hans Kung says, diakonia means an activity which every Greek would recognize at once as being one of self-abasement. In other words, waiting on tables, serving food, pouring wine. The, the distinction between master and servant was nowhere more visibly apparent than at meals. When the noble masters would lie at the table in their long robes while the servants, their clothes girded, had to wait on them. In other words, diakonia, and it never lost its sense of inferiority. In other words, it was, it was really serving other people. 
Diakonia occurs in the context of preparing meals and caring for the bodily needs of other people. Fundamentally, the idea in Jesus' community is that we are living for others, that other people come before ourselves. Yes, I'm willing to take the trash out. I'm willing to wipe down tables. I'm willing to cook the meal. I'm willing to host something in my home. Whatever needs to happen in the family of God, I'm willing to do. And Jesus says, that's the mentality that I want my disciples to have. Very different than the world around us. And Jesus relates leadership among his disciples to his own leadership in his ministry. We look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 35, and he says, if you're my disciple then you're going to be a servant of all. And as I take a look at many of you who are in service uh, here at Crosspoint and the different things that you guys do and use your gift sets in such a way, I see that you are servants when you go into Dallas and you serve the homeless community. You partner with another church over here in Dallas. Or or when you stand in the, the soup kitchen and you serve our homeless right here in Grand Prairie and you're serving men and women as they come through that line. You are being everything Jesus has called you to be. When you decide to give money or backpacks for our kids that attend GPISD, as we will in the fall in just a few weeks, you're saying, listen, I want to serve those who can't serve themselves. I want to be like Jesus to these families and these people. When you go to the Ronald McDonald house and you cook a meal for a family whose child is in the hospital with some dangerous disease, You're saying, I want to be a part of what Jesus has designed. I want to be like him in the community in which I live. When you give up money and when you give up uh, the comfort of your own lifestyle to go to Honduras or Kenya, you're saying, those people are more important than me. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And so you share in that you are becoming and being more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And you don't have to travel to do that. Many of you stand right out here in our commons before service and in between services, greeting people, handing out bulletins, serving coffee, giving people hugs that you don't even know. And that looks like Jesus. You're saying, I'm willing to be a servant. I'm willing to lower myself to whatever needs to happen for this family of God to function properly. Which brings us to our text today in Luke chapter 22. You see, they're in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples. This is the night that he's going to be arrested. And you know, when you know that death is coming, when you're laying on your deathbed, so to speak, metaphorically as Jesus is, you don't talk about all the TV shows that you didn't get to watch. You don't talk about that one trip to Six Flags that you missed out on. No, you talk about the most important things in life. That's what you want to leave behind to the people who are listening. And Jesus is in the upper room, and he's talking about the kingdom of God and how the Messiah has come, and things are going to be different. Things are going to change. God is doing something great in the world, and there are moments in time when the disciples still just don't quite get it. And so as the kingdom of God emerges, that topic Guess what? In the upper room, as they finish out the Passover meal, as they finish their prayer and their singing time, there's a little debate that breaks out amongst the disciples. And it's not just the 12 in the upper room. There's a bunch of them up there. And they begin to talk about who's going to sit at the right and the left of the Messiah. When that kingdom happens, who's going to be the most important person? In verse 24, then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. 
And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. They are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, in our culture, but not here. Not in the family of God. Not in the community that I'm building. For I am among you as one who serves. And Jesus reminds them on his last night what the most important attribute is about being a part of the family of God. That is one of service. Of being a slave to those who are around you. Gerhard Lafink says this, all these passages that we've just read would indicate that Jesus wanted his disciples to be a countercultural, counterculture rather, in the area of authority as well as life. These passages address precisely what we would today call structures of domination. Such structures are standard in the societies of this world, but in the community of disciples, relationships like this are not permitted. Jesus says that's how the world offers leadership and community, but we don't do that here. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no title that rises above someone else. We serve one another out of love because that's what Christ has done for us. You take a look at the entire story of Jesus Christ and what his life really looked like. I mean, from the get-go, Matthew chapter 4 at his baptism, this is the Son of God who comes to the shoreline and John the Baptist recognizes who it is. He says, the Lamb of God. And Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I need to be baptized of you. Not the other way around. But in that moment, Jesus assumes the role of the student, not the master, not the teacher. Jesus steps into the water and he begins his ministry that way. All through the three years that he's involved in ministry as he interacts with other people and their lives, he's basing everything off of his philosophy that I'm called to be a servant. Yes, I am the King of kings and Lord of lords, but I will live life differently. And I'm calling my people to live life differently too. When I talk to the woman at the well in broad daylight, that's a big no-no, but he does that because he wants to be inclusive. When he touches the leper, when he heals the blind man on the Sabbath day, the list goes on and on and on of different ways that he interacted with people to say, I'm not better than you, although he is. He says, I want to be a servant to all of those around me. And he calls us to be the same exact way. Even John 13, when he's in the upper room that last night, he decides to wash the disciples' feet. And the text tells us that he actually girds his loin. In other words, he pulls up his, his garment and he tucks it into his belt. His legs are showing. It's the sign of a servant. And the disciples are beside themselves. This is the Messiah. This is, this is the king. This is our master. He should not be washing our feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter says, you're not washing my feet. No way. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And then Peter does a 180. And he says, well, then wash my head and everything else because I want to be a part of who you are. In Jesus' ministry, he shows us what it's like to serve. And then that final act going to the cross for me and you, as Todd said, when we didn't deserve it. I mean, that's the death of a slave. And Jesus says, I love you so much. 
I'm willing to be that person. If that gets you with me, that's what I want to happen. And we're called to imitate Jesus. I mean, this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God who should be served is serving you and me. What peace that we have because of that and his story. What joy we have in our life because we've decided to model ourselves after the way that he lived life. Which brings us to our closing question this morning. And that is, have we as the church, as we as the people of God, how have we handled Jesus' example of what leadership should look like in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, and even in our governments, whatever level we might be talking about? Have we made the decision in any case scenario that we are going to be the servant in the moment? We're going to be the slave in the moment because that's how Jesus would do it. We're called to imitate him in every possible way. We're called to lead the world around us in the way that Jesus Christ did. And so that's the call this morning is that you and I would reflect on our life a little bit and ask ourselves, are we leading our kids the way Jesus would lead our kids? Are we leading our spouse the way that Jesus would? In our workplaces, are we taking the form of a servant in our workplaces to show everyone else truly what being blessed is all about? In our church, are we taking the place of a servant? Or are we hoping to get that title and be at the very top of the pyramid? Because that's what's most important. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to be very different for us. I'm going to call Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And and today's been a reflective lesson just for us to think about how Jesus lived life. And for you to make some application to your own life, am I imitating Jesus in every aspect of how I live? Our shepherds and their wives are going to be on the walls of these uh, around our room here. And my, my guess would be that some of us in this room have some stressful things going on in our life. And my hope is as we sing this song that you'll go to one of our shepherds and, and let them pray over you, lay hands on you, give you the, the gift of peace through prayer. You would let them know what's going on in your life so that they can be in prayer over that. I want to encourage you to do that together as we stand and sing. Let's sing.